this is a very happy talk uh, topic uh, for me to be speaking about this morning. What is a teacher of God? A subtitle to that would be uh, the mistakes I have made. <laughs> <laughs> Because in making this list, I realized that every one of these were lessons that I've had to learn or I'm continuing to still learn. So possibly I will tell you the mistakes, uh, at least the first one, uh, if we went into all of them that were behind each of these points. Teacher of God, of course, is a term used in A Course in Miracles. And the Course says that in terms of the Course, no one can use that phrase, can apply that phrase to himself or herself until the 365 lessons, lessons have been completed. So it's quite a specific term. I've never felt that it was the function, my function, or the function of the dispensable church to teach a course in miracles in a direct way in the sense that I somehow codify the concepts and present them to you. Although there is definitely a place for that kind of teaching and there are some people who do it extremely well. But I just haven't felt that that's what I should do. I felt that my function was to steep myself in A Course in Miracles and then simply to speak from my own experience and in my own words. So once again, I will not be uh, trying to summarize the points made in the third volume of A Course in Miracles, a manual for teachers. As a matter of fact, some of the things that I say, for example, the very first point I'm going to make, may sound like a contradiction. The Course begins by saying that uh, a teacher of God is anyone who chooses to be a teacher of God. And yet the first point I want to make is that to be a teacher of God is a calling. And that may sound like a contradiction. All you have to do is decide, and yet you must be called. What makes it sound like a contradiction is this great gulf that we think exists between us and God, between us and others. We think that reality is all divided up, neatly packaged, that God has pets and we're not one of them. <laughs> and everything in the world, in fact, attests to that outlook. This, of course, is a place of separation. Everything is separate from everything else. And so it is quite natural that if this is the only thing we look at, that we will believe that we are very much alone, that somehow we have to figure it all out by ourselves and reverse some impossibly long and complicated mistake that we have made. But, of course, that's not true. The mistake is reversed for us. All the errors we made are undone for us. 
But we do play a part, and that is to not interfere. And so when you are called to be a teacher of God, do not interfere. That is your decision. Decide not to interfere. The introduction to the manual points out in several ways, which I won't go into, how being a teacher is quite different spiritually than it is in the world. A couple of the points that it makes is that the teacher spends just a certain amount of his time teaching and the rest of it's devoted to other things. So it's very important to understand that to be a teacher of God does not look like being a teacher of God. It can, there can be activities that accompany it that fit the definition or the picture that the world holds of a teacher, but that is actually not the teaching. The teaching begins in gratitude. How do you know when you are ready to be a teacher of God? You will know it when you are grateful. When you are grateful for how much you have received, how much, how far you have been brought along. For all the truth and the happy and good lessons that have come your way. How mistakes have some, somehow been reversed and translated into spurts of learning. And you know quite well this was not of your own doing. Although you played your part, you did not interfere. And that needs to be a consistent part, and it takes great effort to not interfere since we're so much in the habit of doing so. So as I was traveling around the country back uh, three or four years ago, a lot of it with my friend Jerry Jampolsky, we found ourselves in churches a great deal, and one of the first things that struck me was the music. And I think I've told you uh, more than once about the music that especially impressed me at the Hillside Chapel and Truth Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which in those days was held in a tent because they had outgrown their church. And there they had the uh, saying, singing is praying twice. And they would begin the service with the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer had been especially arranged by their musical arranger and the whole congregation had learned the arrangement. And so there were these, these lovely pauses of stillness and crescendos. And it, it, I, it just, it's, you know, it's impossible to describe music. But the thought that I had, I found later so many have, and that is after the Lord's Prayer was sung, I had a strong urge to get up and leave. It was, it was all that was needed. And I felt that so often after Tui and Jonathan have finished with one of their songs. What more needs to be said than this? 
God comes to us in so many different ways. There is nothing in this world, the Course in Miracles says, that the Holy Spirit cannot use. There is nothing you have done the Holy Spirit cannot use. There is nothing that happens to you the Holy Spirit cannot use and does use if we will simply allow it, if we will let the use enter our heart. And so the time will come in which it seems like such an unfair struggle begins very gently and gradually to dissolve into gratitude. Gratitude for what you have received. Gratitude for the way you have been treated. I've said often, and I know this is a slightly bizarre concept, we try to stay away here at the Dispensable Church from anything that sounds weird or bizarre. <laughs> and that's why we named it the Dispensable Church. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is something that I've said over and over again. And I know for many of you, there is no doubt of this fact. For some of you, it may sound a little strange. It is not untraditional. <coughs> the thing that I've said so often is that these people that we know who have been here, who helped so much and then appeared to leave, didn't leave. They truly didn't leave, and so many of you know this. And so Jesus didn't leave, but he certainly appeared to leave. He did withdraw from the world. He admittedly did it in a very dramatic fashion. <laughs> Since then, it has not been necessary to do it in such a dramatic fashion. And so those who are ready to help all the time, almost always now, simply live their life out and then help all the time. And for many people in this part of the world, and for probably almost everyone here, but not necessarily everyone, Jesus is your teacher. And you feel the presence of Jesus with you. Now I realize that this concept has been greatly misused on bumper stickers and early morning radio shows and all kinds of things. But that doesn't touch the truth. I realize that many people like to duck their head in embarrassment just hearing the word Jesus. But that doesn't touch the truth that you have a brother. You have a friend who is with you. In a sense, very, very, very personal. A very personal friend who is always with you and always has been with you. It doesn't matter whether you use the word Jesus, but you will have this sense of a friend with you, guiding you, counseling, counseling you, talking to you in so many different ways. Not necessarily verbally, but perhaps verbally. It doesn't matter how. It comes in a thousand ways and we only recognize a few. And one day, you will see how Jesus has treated you. How patiently and tenderly you have been treated. 
how nothing that you did turned your best friend against you. And you and I have done some dillies, haven't we? (coughs) And you will say, what would it be like if I treated others the way Jesus treats me? That's all that being called to be a teacher of God is. It's simply gratitude. I will give as I have been given to. I will treat as I have been treated. And so, does this mean that you will stand on the street corner or have a uh, three-year ministry in a church? No, it does not mean that. That isn't the teaching. That may be one of the forms that the teaching takes, but that isn't the teaching. The teaching is the gratitude and the peace that you feel And so you decide you wish to represent the nature of Jesus and the nature of God. And that never places itself over or under others. Nor does it attempt to assume some sort of ego equality, which is a mistake so many teachers make in the beginning, thinking that they must be equal to the egos that surround them, which means they must make the same mistakes. But is that how you have been treated? Never have you been treated that way. Never is there any inequality in truth. The ego does not understand this, but equality and gentleness come from certainty, from absolute certainty. Just look, it's, it's generally not a good idea to point to people in the world as examples. And I've tried to confine this. And perhaps I should have confined it even more. Basically, I've just referred to not necessarily the two people who are furthest along or anything else, but two people who were known quite well, Muktananda and Mother Teresa, since there's a nice balance there. <laughs> But look at the certainty of Mother Teresa, the certainty with which she teaches, and yet she doesn't teach in the way the world thinks of as teaching. She teaches by doing things like accepting the Nobel Prize and going right back and doing exactly what she was doing before. That's the way she teaches. No one would think of accusing Mother Teresa of inequality, arrogance, and so forth. And yet she has absolute certainty. What you must watch for, and this was the mistake that I made, is that when you feel this urge, this calling, to give of what you have been given, when you feel called, to be a teacher of God. You must not add anything to it. And that's what I that's the mistake I made. So I tried to rope my good friend Lester Lewis into being my co-minister. And most of you probably don't know this, but in the beginning, this church was called Lester and Hughes Dispensable Church. <laughs> uh, but Lester never showed up. 
That was adding to it. That was trying to figure out the details. That was thinking that the details were important. And I was frankly appalled at the idea that that uh, I would be doing this myself every Sunday, not have someone, not have a co-minister. It didn't turn out to be so bad at all. I did have to give up eventually everything else. I had to give up the <laughs> I have not written a new book in three years, uh, although I've helped some others with some, but I haven't written one in my own name for three years, and I've had to give up the traveling and give up most of the counseling and so forth. But it hasn't been so bad. In fact, it's been very good for me. And so you don't have to question in what way you find yourself teaching, whether it's teaching as Mother Teresa teaches, anonymously picking people up and carrying them into a room. Now, perhaps the world will discover this, but you know that in all, in all possibility, the world will not discover it, and I can tell you it would not be a happy thing for you if the world does discover it. That's why I've said so many times, do not recommend the dispensable church. This is mainly to keep this a happy place. It is not a happy thing to go out and try to change people's minds and to bring them to a church. And those of you who have brought friends and relatives here, for the most part, it has not been a happy experience. Truth cannot be promoted make no difference in the world. To be a teacher of God, you walk through the world without making any difference whatsoever because you are not speaking to the world or to egos. You are not herding in bodies or counting the number of faces. It has nothing to do with that. It's simply an act of gratitude. You have been given so much. And now you wish to give back. Do not ask how. Just begin doing it in your life. As it is now, begin doing it and you are a teacher of God. The second point that I wish to make about being a teacher of God is that it is solely a function of seeing innocence. So what do you do as a teacher of God? How do you express your gratitude? How can you treat others as you have been treated? There is only one way to do that. It is the question behind every question you will be asked. Am I innocent? And you look and you see and you say, not necessarily in those words, but in the words that convey that to the individual, yes, indeed, you are innocent. To see innocence teaches innocence. Most of you have been parents or are parents. All of you, I'm sure, can remember parents. <laughs> and you've seen parents at work and uh, supermarkets and so forth. 
we are familiar with parents. How often do parents say, if you keep that up, I'm going to get very angry. <laughs> or you're making me mad. Or the reason I got so mad was, and so forth and so forth and so forth. This is, this is said so often it's not even heard by almost every parent, at least in this part of the world. I don't know what they say in other parts of the world. But it means the same thing. And what is the lesson that's being taught when we say that to a child? The most powerful thing that you can have is anger. If you do this, it's going to make me angry. If you keep this up, and then we justify the anger and so forth. And it must be understood that in the world, anger is the number one tool. But it is absolutely and totally destructive to a spiritual path. One instant of anger erases days and weeks and months and sometimes even years of work and it all has to be done over again. To be a teacher of God is to be totally harmless. It's to see innocence. And so one of the mistakes that I made, especially in the very beginning, was that I tried to correct what I thought was going on in the congregation. And this involves a small amount of anger and a large amount of judgment. I don't know what's going on in the congregation. This is the lesson I had to learn. We do not know. We don't even know what's going on in our own lives. Do we? We don't even understand why we keep making the same mistakes over and over. How many days do we wake up and say, this is so confusing. How often does this happen to us? We don't even know what we're doing. How could we possibly know what someone else is doing? And judge it and say they shouldn't be doing it. That they know better. They could do something else. And so whenever, as a teacher of God, you attempt to, to change or to point out or to direct your friends or your patients or your employer or your employees or anyone else, <coughs> you have just resigned as teacher of God. You're no longer a teacher of God. You are a teacher of guilt or a teacher of fear or a teacher of embarrassment. But you are not a teacher of love and innocence. The third point is that the teacher of God teaches from truth. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. So often we think that in order to be equal, we must make the mistakes that the people around us are making or they're going to feel uneasy. This comes from the ego's desire to translate what we feel in our heart to something solid, to something manifest, to some outward symbol. And very often, 
this is too much of a temptation, and it's not even seen as a temptation for the teacher of God. So, for example, you you may feel a great you may you may be holding someone in light, for example, someone who has mistreated you, say. And you may be holding them in light and suddenly you see how innocent this person is. Now what happens is the ego steps in and says, oh, call them up and invite them to lunch. Or uh, call them up and tell them how much you forgive them. (laughs) Or whatever the thing may be. Or there they are sitting over there. Go run over there and hug them. And it doesn't work out. You try to hug them and you spill the soup all over them. (laughs) But notice this desire for the ego to take what the heart is feeling and turn it into some external action. This, each church has its own style, and so what I'm going to say now, of course, has nothing to do with other churches, but I saw that at least with our congregation, that was meeting over there in the girls' club, that many people felt embarrassed by being hugged. And I used to, those of you who remember, used to uh, attend the girls' club. I used to stand out there in front of that little concrete ramp and hug everybody that came. And I really did feel that way about the people who were coming. I was oh so grateful. <laughs> we had 45 people who came the first uh, Sunday service, and I was shocked that many people would come. And of course, it's not love to make someone feel uneasy or self-conscious or embarrassed. And so we stop that. That doesn't mean there's never a place for hugging or the congregation should never hug or hold hands or any of those things. But I've noticed how often someone will be speaking or something and they'll be flooded with love and then they suddenly suggest that, that the uh, audience do something. And very often it doesn't quite work out that way. And this business of seeing that everyone is a teacher... And therefore saying, I have nothing to say, I have nothing to write, I cannot possibly counsel anyone, is not teaching from truth. It's teaching from your ego. So your ego and your ego personality is not a teacher of God and never can be. And for you to try to teach from your body negates the teaching totally. You must teach from truth. And if you will teach from truth, you can teach with certainty. So what does this mean? If you do not have the form that the world calls teaching in your life, such as counseling or writing or giving seminars or all this other kinds of stuff, being a school teacher or whatever it may be, which in almost every case you will not have, You will not have this worldly form. And you certainly will not have it indefinitely. Does this mean that you throw out everything you believe when you're at a party? Or when you're at some rally? Or when you're talking to some uh, tourist? God forbid that you'd talk to a tourist. (laughs) 
walking on the streets. And they ask you directions to how to get to where? where? <laughs> what? The dispensable church. <laughs> and a conversation starts up. Or it starts up in, in a shop or something like this. But so often it's in social situations or with relatives or something like that. And suddenly the person is saying something that you do not believe in your heart and they are asking you to agree with them. Here comes the point that a teacher of God is not a teacher of God for just a certain period during the day. A teacher of God is a teacher of God all the time. And it is not necessary for you to say things that you don't believe. Nor is it necessary for you to say them. It's the ego that that attaches form to content. And form is always irrelevant. So neither do you have to point out their mistake, nor do you have to agree with them. You stay centered, planted in the truth. And this will never hurt you. Of course, it looks as if it's going to. It looks as if the person is going to get their feelings hurt, or they're going to get angry or irritated, or they're going to think you're a snob, or so forth. It is better that they think that than you betray yourself. To feel the calling to be a teacher of God, to give what you have received in any way that is before you to give it, means that you have chosen now to be consistent, or at least to try to be consistent. Most of you do not yet realize how vulnerable you, be- how vulnerable you become as you begin walking home, as you draw near and near your father. The slightest thought played with, the mildest attack, sets you so far back. Consistency becomes your lifeblood. You must be consistent. You must take God. You must set your eyes on Him. And you must walk toward Him. And you must not look to the side. And that's what you must do. You must say, this will be a day of peace and gentleness. And you must look at peace and walk toward it. And you must not betray yourself. It will not be loving or kind for you to give in to someone's ego. This does not help them arrive home. So it's better to be antsy or to feel confused or to stand there not knowing what to do than it is to betray yourself and the world. And this recognition comes quite late. You cannot betray yourself without hurting the entire world in the same instant. You set this world back when you set yourself back. Because, my friends, there's only one of us. And you are all there is to the Son of God. And when you betray yourself... You have removed yourself one step from heaven. Of course you'll get there. 
But why waste time? Why hurt others? So begin again and be consistent. The fourth point is that a teacher of God illumines the path rather than points things out. This is a very this is a very thin line, or so it would seem. What is pointing things out and what is illumining the path? It simply has to do not with bringing what a mistake might be to someone's attention, but pointing their mind toward how far they have to go. And it's very tempting to do this. What you wish to do as a teacher of God is to give hope. Under every circumstance, give hope. With your little child, what are you doing with your little child? Is it helping them become more peaceful, to love peace, to be happy, to draw nearer their father? Their father is joy and peace and happiness. What have you just done to your child? Have you made your child feel guilty? Or react in an ego way? Of course, that's not being a teacher of God. And so, what you wish to do is to make sure that you understand that, that each word is like an arrow. It's like a pointer. It literally points the person's mind in a direction. And so it's perfectly all right for you to say, if asked, why am I having so much difficulty? difficulty and you say to this person, well, you see this little thing? It's blocking your way. You might try stepping over it in this manner. But to sit there and reel off a list of mistakes to someone, do you see what that does? That makes them feel hopeless and discouraged. Show your students and do not be afraid of that word. Those of you who have been coming to the dispensable church consistently, many of you are now ready to take up this calling of being a teacher of God. That's why I'm bringing it up now. Many of you are now ready for this. Do not be afraid of the words teacher and student. There is no inequality in this any more than there is in parent and child. Is there any quality in that? Of course not. Is a parent automatically better than a child? That's as silly as saying that a child is automatically better than an adult. These things are not true. So show your student how far he or she has come and not how far he or she yet has to go. Illumine the path. Do not point out the darkness. Unless it's the darkness that just is ahead that the person wishes to get over and you can show them the way. Illumine the path. You are not there to make a difference in this person's life. That's not a contradiction. 
You are not there to make a difference in this person's life. You are there to give as you have received. You are there to love, not be loved. You are there to make happy, not to be made happy, not to be pleased. You are there to listen, not to be listened to. Even if you're doing the speaking, unless it's all listening, it is not teaching. You are there to listen, not to be listened to, to love, not to be loved, to make happy, not to be pleased, to teach, not to be taught. You see how there's no arrogance in that? If you see the true nature of teaching, then you are there to teach and not to be taught. There is no arrogance in that. There is no inequality. It means to give and not look for something in return, to love and not be loved. Where do you begin practicing this? In your marriage, in your relationship, in your office. Assume total responsibility for your office, even if you are the least employee. Assume total responsibility for your marriage. Do it all. If you do one thing expecting anything back, it is not love and it will hurt you. It will sting you every time because the ego has entered in. To be a teacher of God, once again, is to treat as you have been treated. As Jesus has treated you, you now wish to treat everyone in the world. And so you love and not ask any love in return. You don't look for it. You're not even interested in it. You give and you give and you give and you give until you have no time to stop and see what you are due. And so as a teacher of God, and this is the next point, you're willing to serve in any capacity whatsoever, and unless you are, you're not yet a teacher of God. You must not look at your life and say it needs to be reconstructed, and you must have a new job description, and you can't work in a filling station anymore. You've got to be a guidance counselor in an alcoholic center. This is ridiculous. There's, it's not more spiritual to be a guidance counselor in an alcoholic center than it is to fill cars with gas. It simply is not more spiritual. And most of the people who've laid aside their egos and have joined their brothers and sisters in Christ and are here all the time did not look like teachers. They looked like street cleaners. They looked like maids. They looked like office boys. They look like film editors. They look like hairdressers. And some look like presidents of corporations. And some look like the beautiful people. It is not less spiritual to be one of the beautiful people. I bet there was even a jet setter among them. <laughs> so take your life the way it is. It is no accident that it's set up the way it is. Don't think you have to change the whole nature of it. I see people spending years and years and years fighting their lives 
thinking that it doesn't look spiritual enough, that they know how it should look. It is the content and not the form that determines what you are doing. If you wish to add to the peace of the world, there is only one way you can do it, and that is to be at peace this instant. If you're at peace this instant, you are adding to the peace of the world. If you're railing against your job, if you're saying, I must quit this or I must move to this town because this is not a spiritual hotspot and -and so-and-so is, (laughs) where's the peace in that? Where's the presence of God in that? Where's the now in that? Just a couple more points. Don't be special. A teacher of God is never special. A true teacher of God does not go around talking about his or her guidance. Just look at this. It's not that there's any sin to it. It's not that there's any sin to it, but notice the effect that it has on the person that you're telling this to. It makes them feel separate from you and alone. They don't get this booming voice coming through the bathroom window, you see. Nor does the picture, does the little pencil pick itself up and magically write things that, the, that you discover when you wake up in the morning. Where did this come from? The angels had visited you. Of course they did. You're so lovely. So we receive guidance in many, many ways. The world has picked out one form of guidance at the moment and made it very special, and that's hearing a voice. This is ridiculous. Why is this more special than any other? And so don't go around telling people that you hear a voice (laughs) or that Moses and uh, St. Paul and uh, who? Sit down every night on your bed and tell you how to save the world. Now, here's a practical reason. The real reason is you don't wish to do anything to separate yourself from someone else, and this does not help. I'll tell you from experience, from painful experience, that as soon as you start talking about your guidance, the person doesn't hear another word you say. They're sitting there thinking about it, (laughs) wondering about it, you see. Is this person lying? You know, and all, all the thoughts that this brings up. But the real reason is, and notice this, I bet you there are very few people of you in here in this audience, this particular, I bet you there are very few of you who have not been told by some dear sweet friend that the dear sweet friend was guided to tell you that you ought to do so and so. Haven't a lot of you had that happen? It's my guidance that you ought to do so and so. What has your reaction been? It's the last thing you're going to do. (laughs) Notice how much more someone does not want to do something if you tell them you are guided to tell them that. So from a practical standpoint, don't do that. People don't want to hear it. Notice how much people do not want to hear about your ability to see auras (laughs) or make mushed cats whole. (laughs) 
They don't even want to hear about your vacation. (laughs) Haven't you noticed this? You've got all these things to tell people. And if you'll just watch, they want to hear about six seconds of it, and then they want the subject to change. You see, no one likes to feel separate. And they didn't have this glorious uh, vacation that you're so you're lying in your teeth about, you know. <laughs> it is not a happy thing to be a teacher of God in the world. To be a teacher of God and receive this calling, because indeed you have been called. You have not yet decided, perhaps, to accept the calling, but you have been called. To take up the calling is not a happy thing in the world. And do not think that it will be. And one of the things that will happen as you begin practicing consistency and doing the best you can and making the mistakes that you must make, our way home is paved with mistakes. Each stepping stone is a mistake. Mistake made, seen, let go of, and then we're a little bit further along. So as you make your mistakes and you do the best you can, you will be criticized. You will not be singled out and persecuted, but you will be criticized even though your efforts were as pure as you could make them. What do you do as a teacher of God when you are criticized? And this is, of course, true of anyone. I, I told you about the phrase, uh, David was in, uh, in the Marines, so he may have heard this while I was just in the Air Force. Sissy, sissy, sissy. <laughs> but David was in the Marines. Anyway, we heard the same phrase. As you were. Those of you in the armed service remember that. As you were. It just meant the drill, the drill master just made a mistake. <laughs> he told you about face and, and he's oh so wrong. So he says, as you were, as if it was your fault. <laughs> and that's, that's, the, that's the phrase you want to remember when you're attacked. You were as you were before you were attacked. A teacher of God does not respond to the ego in any way. The teacher of God does not try to explain himself nor attack back. And many people who are very kind make the mistake of endlessly trying to explain themselves. And what they do is that they fall deeper and deeper into the person's ego who's attacking them. You cannot resist attack for very long. Notice even Jesus walked away from people who were attacking him. They were stoning him or whatever they were doing. Because to be attacked is to have your ego called to. It is a statement that the person is making, although they don't realize it, because it's actually a call for help. Get angry, get angry, get angry, get angry. Get as angry as I am. And that's what the person says. How long can you stand there and hear this over and over? Get angry, get angry, and not get angry. Or get guilty, get guilty, get guilty. You're guilty, you're you're guilty. (laughs) And so, of course, you step away. But as far as while you are there, how you respond is, you keep responding to the truth. That is what it means to take up the calling of a teacher of God. You have decided that the truth is true. 
and that nothing else is true but the truth. And therefore, you will stay centered in it. And there is never a reason for you to step outside of this circle of gentleness and love and peace and light. There is never a reason for you to abandon your father and use other tactics. Now, in a setting like this, of course, there has to be some response. And so you have occasionally heard me attacked, but not very often. Notice, even as weird as this church is, that during the question and answer period that we've had over the last two and a half years, and we've had a lot of them, there have been only just a handful of people who have attacked me, very, very few. Now, of course, in a situation like this, I must say something because everyone else has heard it. And sometimes you will find yourself in a position of having to handle the ego. Simply handling the ego. Uh, A good example of that is, uh, uh, there's a couple I was talking to recently. The mother was in the habit, year, year, I mean, this was a habit that had been going on for many, many years in the marriage. The mother of the wife was in the habit of criticizing her son-in-law, her daughter's husband. And so every time they'd get aside, she would do this, and this would happen every time she visited. And it had been happening for years. And she had tried all kinds of things ignoring it, defending her husband, and it didn't do anything. So she handled her mother's ego. The way she did this was she first sat down and she prayed. Otherwise, you're not handling the ego. Unless the way to handle the ego comes to you in peace. Now, of course, I can't sit down here and pray if someone attacks me. But still, I try to touch my peace to see what to do. Or when someone comes up after the service, which is not very often, and attacks me. I try to remember to touch my peace. Because unless I respond for my peace, I have accomplished nothing. But she sat down and she became peaceful. And she said, this is not a happy situation. I'm not being loving to my mother by allowing this to continue. I'm certainly not being committed to this marriage and loyal to my husband. I'm certainly not being good to myself because it disturbs me greatly for this to go on. And so she simply told her mother that she never again wanted to hear another critical word of her husband. And her mother, of course, did not understand this. But she said, this is simply the way it must be. And probably her mother slept a few times and she just gently reminded her, not angrily, gently remind her that there was a new rule that she did not want to hear it. I know another woman who told her mother that she never again wanted to hear stories about what had happened to children. It's very disturbing to her. And her mother simply could not understand why anyone wouldn't want to hear about someone. Well, he won't. <laughs> I won't complain that. <laughs> you know the stories. So, yes, there may be a a place for handling the ego, gently 
from gentleness and peace, never doing more than is necessary. That's the mistake we make. We always tend to do more than is necessary, which means we get our ego involved and the whole thing gets complicated. So you respond from truth. You are as you were. You pay no attention to the ego. You look at it and see that it's ego. But you do not alter the fact that you are grounded in the truth. So you are the way you were before you were attacked and the way you will be after the attack is over. And you do not have to hear the attack out. This is not kindness. As a matter of fact, it's often very unhelpful to the attacker to do this. The last point is that the teaching itself is the peace that you feel. So you are a teacher of God if you wash the dishes with peace. You are a teacher of God if you drive your car in peace. Peace is God. If you wash the dishes with peace, if you clean up the house with peace, if you do your child care with peace, if you go to the office in the morning with peace, if you stay late because you've been asked to stay late in peace, you are doing it with God. And you are awakening the world. You are literally a savior. <clears throat> because the peace that you feel circles this globe and touches the heart of every living thing. It is not necessary to believe that. Just see how happy it makes you to do it with peace and how much you do not want to do it with bitterness. And you will eventually see that you are not alone that your mind is not unconnected and that you cannot think a single thought that it does not go forth and either help or hinder your brother. And so take peace and wrap it around you. Let the pure waters of God flow all over you, fill you with grace and joy. And always remember to do it now. And so let's close our eyes and do it now. Let's right now add to the peace of the world. Let's shorten the time before the homecoming. Right now. All you have to do is join with those around you and being peaceful. Because when you're peaceful, God is with you. So let's be peaceful together. I want to help. I want to be at peace. It is that simple.